name is Tom Kearney, and I'm here every night, Monday through Friday, on WPTF with the Tom Kearney Show from 9 to 10 with a little bit of live and in real-time radio. We try to bring you things that are edifying and interesting. Well, interesting. That, that's almost the same thing. Maybe I'll just use edifying and also entertaining. And uh, one of the things when I started doing this program yay many years ago, we're going to have an anniversary right after Christmas, by the way. You'll have to tune in to find out which one was a couple of free service programs. And by that, I mean something that was of value to uh, the uh, the listener and, uh, in a very specific way. And so uh, we started doing a, a call-in show for uh, dealing with automobile problems. There was already one, a famous one on uh, uh, National Public Radio, but uh, we decided we would do one that was maybe uh, more appropriate to our audience, and maybe, uh, well, anyway, we did, and uh, WPTF did, and, and it was on Saturday morning, and there were five or four or five mechanics on it, and uh, eventually over the years when we started doing the night show, I borrowed a couple of them, I borrowed three of them, as a matter of fact, and one of them is with us tonight. You hear about him all the time when you hear about King's Auto, and his name uh, is, what, what is his name? I forgot your name. Dean Bailey. Dean Bailey. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. It just takes longer to get through the circuit these days, Dean. Oh, I'm How are you tonight? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm, I'm doing fine. It's, uh, it was uh, a long day today, and I had a lot of stuff to do, but I got them done. I always like when I, you can check them off, you know, and, uh, and uh, two yeah. or three things that I planned for this week have already been done, and at this time of year, but all the busyness that's going on. And, you know, two weeks from tonight, if we're here, Christmas will have been two or three days before that, and it's hard to believe that. Uh, oh, yes. What, well, it's become a kind of a tradition to invite you and sometime Don, your friend, to come. We're a little bit limited in the technology now since I'm working at home and not going to the station because of, well, I broke my leg and it's getting better, and also because, uh, well, there's this... Uh, virus going around and everything, and so it's probably better just to sort of stay in one place if one can. But it was kind of a tradition for for Dean, and uh, who is the proprietor of King's Auto, to come and visit with us, and uh, not Dean, yeah, Dean, um, at this time of year. So tonight is our traditional program. I, I like to, to have things that recur and get to be a habit. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons is... Uh, Within the next couple of weeks, you're going to be going somewhere probably. You probably shouldn't be, but you might be. And if you do, you want to uh, get there and get back maybe without getting out of the car. I.e., you don't want to have a lot of uh, social lack of distance between you and other people. And that means you want to have the car that you've got to work fine. And so I don't think Mrs. Kearney and I are going anywhere, but usually usually we make trips to Charlotte and to to Winston-Salem, but I don't think that's going to happen this year. But if I did, I would take my car to the place I've been taking it for the last, between 15 and 20 years, to King's Auto at 1039 Northwest Street. That's an introduction for you, Dean. Well, thank you, Tom. Yes, this is uh, the time of year where, you know, we, we probably shouldn't be traveling right now, but uh, we will have to do that for some families will uh, need to. They have elderly family members that they need to check on. And, uh, of course, uh, 
you need to keep your car ready in any case uh, in case you have an emergency and, and need to get somewhere and pick something up. So uh, don't procrastinate and put off checking the air pressure in your tires and your fluid levels and that sort of thing or just uh, pop in at your local garage that you do business with and have them give it a good look over before, you know, you settle in for, for the holiday. Uh, you'll be, be rational uh, there because I, I know you would like for them to come to King's Auto, and then I know you've always well, recognized sure. there are lots of other places that they could go. But, <laughs> but I, I do want to commend King's Auto because uh, uh, today I had to call uh, I need. I didn't have to because I just heard a strange noise in my HVAC system, and uh, I get into funny situations sometimes when I call them folks and ask them to deal with that because they're de- used to dealing with things that are broken. Uh, right. And mm-hmm. I've dealt with mechanics who, who not yourself or your people who work for you, but who didn't understand why you would bring something before it was broken. But that's. What I found to be the most economical thing to do is, if you can't afford to do it, to be preemptive in your dealing with the problems that your automobile might have, and that way you won't end up beside the road somewhere. And uh, it really is cheaper in the long run. It really is. You really need to have your your car evaluated at least once a year, if not twice, and look it over and make sure that you know things are not left unattended and. Uh, you won't have surprises that'll uh, leave you on the side of the road broken down, and especially here, uh, I think you know winter's finally coming in, and uh, you know the longest day of the year, I think, what the 21st. So it's going to start getting cold and colder, and uh, you don't want to be out on the side of the road uh, waiting for a uh, wrecker to come get you. So you can avoid that. Uh, just a little preparation in advance would really help. What would you say, uh, and, and we're going to do this up to the first break, and then after that I want to talk to you about the changes in technology and, and your your job, what you do in the automobiles you deal with, uh, you know, say from the first days that you worked on automobiles. You're so young we may have to go back a little bit further, as a matter of fact. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you are working on critters that were uh, really sort of different than when you when you when you started out doing what you're doing and and I was thinking about this because that's the way it's been at the radio station when when I started working there there was a lot of tape and recording things on tape and kind of labor intensive you had to spend a lot of time working on it and now most of the recording is done uh, on uh, on the computer and a lot of it the computer does itself you don't even need a human being uh, and, sure. mm-hmm. and when I ladies and gentlemen when I called to talk to Dean I believe it was yesterday. I don't think it may have been today, but anyway, uh, one of your colleagues said, "Well, Tommy, you can't talk to him right now. He's waist deep in a carburetor back there somewhere." And I said, "Oh, what?" <laughs> <laughs> There'll be young people listening to us, uh, be being twenty right. twenty, who won't who won't remember the time. They might think I used to work in a tobacco store that sold something called carburetors, and it turned out it was something that people use with drugs, and so the owner who didn't like that uh, quit doing it. But, but there's another kind of carburetor, and, and most uh, most uh, American automobiles had some form of the carburetor in them. Uh, and so we, I'm, I'm kind of, I always like the history of how things have changed and, and uh, right. what automobiles have still got carburetors in them. Uh, mm-hmm. 
but anyway, that's that's one of the things. And the, the technology that, that has changed, uh, uh, I suspect when you started, most cars, well, no, again, you're young, but most cars were had already changed from stick shift to uh, to uh, automatic. Is, would that be the case? I, I would say that uh, when I got in it in uh, 1977, uh, I was working on vehicles professionally at that point, and I would say 70 to 80% of cars at that point had some form of automatic transmission. And then, you know, there were still uh, a lot of older models out there that had the stick shift, whether it was what we call three on the tree where the shifter was on the column. Right. Or in the floorboard where you had usually a, three-speed with a granny gear or uh, even four and five-speed. Wait a minute, back. wait a minute, wait a minute. You've just <laughs> come on something there. What is a granny gear? I see, well, this is where we can, we, that's a teachable well, moment now. <laughs> so you would, you would have like first, second, and third, but uh, there was a low gear uh, that was really, really slow, like you might have in a truck with four-wheel drive. Uh, so that would have, on the shifter knob, would have an L for low, and then you would have a first, second, and third. So it was really a four-speed, but that low gear or granny gear would move so slow that you wouldn't normally shift into that when you were driving down the road. You would never put it in low. You might do that uh, on a gravel road or a muddy road or something like that, or if you were pulling something out of a ditch. Well, now, don't uh, we have, in some cars now, that thing sort of reversed and that it stood on its head where the uh, the intermediate gear is up on the top end, you know, where you you drive maybe not in in the highest gear, but in the next to the highest gear, and the, the highest gear overdrive. is for, for winding out on the road. Yeah. Right, overdrive. So right. Um, that was uh, the next popular uh, move. There were uh, earlier versions of the overdrive that was a uh, planetary gear that was controlled by electric solenoid. A friend of mine works on uh, a lot of older um, British cars that had the electric engaged overdrive units on those. Um, so that gave you more fuel economy and lower engine RPM at high speed. Okay. Well, there are a lot of variations there. Well, yeah, it, it, that's what fascinates me. I'm not a real car person. That is, I haven't been a person who would go out and buy lots of cars and don't work on them. I, my father had the talent, but he never passed it on to his son. So I, I enjoy. Well, I don't enjoy watching because I, I don't hang around the garage anymore. I, I remember I used to go to a service station where they. The, the hourly pay was $10 for the mechanics, and it was 15 if you watched them. They paid them. <laughs> Mark, that's Martin's, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that was Martin. You know, you know where I used to tell. Well, I, I, I am loyal. I took my car to Martin's Exxon for about sure. 30 years. and uh, till they, they, they were a great shop, for sure. Well, they, I think Bob Martin, I, I, I hope he's listening sometime, and there was a guy named Shorty there that, well, there were a lot of good mechanics, and they had the same ones, but they they could fix my car, and they would do it. And uh, right, and it was a, it was a service station. Now the place they used to have is a uh, filling station with uh, it sells uh, potato chips and stuff, and so on. Right, 
marketing in America has changed, and that's that's the, the the name of the game. But I think I've said on this program before, and then we need to take a break because I've gotten into this now, and the clock's going faster than it should. That uh, uh, sometimes people have it. It took a while for people to discover that the way things were being done had changed. That there, the service station passed, and the garage took its place, and and the filling station, which had already existed, came to predominate the thing out on the street, you know, beside the street where people stopped. Right. And and, uh, uh, and there was really a difference between a service station where you got a certain kind of service and, and a filling station. Ladies and gentlemen, you probably recognize that I'm Tom Kearney. I hope you do anyway. I've been doing this for a long time, and the Tom Kearney Show is here every night. In fact, tomorrow night, Dr. Funkhauser, Ed Funkhauser, will be with us to talk about the the best books he's read this past year, and I always get a lot of good suggestions. In fact, this is going to be book week because uh, Rand Coble is going to do something like the same thing on uh, on a Wednesday night. But in any case, tonight we're talking to Dean Bailey, the proprietor of King's Auto, and uh, I like to talk about cars, and I just think it's interesting that the people who come along now, certain things, they will not be able to imagine that there were cars, for instance, that were without radios, that you bought it and it didn't have a radio in it or it wasn't <laughs> air-conditioned. Uh, that was optional. <laughs> right. Well, heaters were optional. Uh, sure. I can remember they used to have a thing under, stuck out under the dash over on the right-hand side that looked like a, a heater that you'd find in a house, you know. And, and mm-hmm. uh, the, the pipes would come through the, the firewall there and go into it and so on. But we'll be back. And I want to find out about this carburetor that Dean was working on right after this. Dean Bailey, uh, Dean, I'm losing my mind there. Uh, King's Garage. King's Auto Service. King's Auto Service. I had a flash then, and you and I have talked about this before. I don't know why it flashes when you're on, but the first time I ever heard of an automobile show on WPTF, uh, um, Alan, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of his name now, but he... Handelman, yeah, it was Alan Handelman. Yeah, Handelman mm-hmm. uh, was there, and he was working with your, with I believe your cousin, Delmer King. He was, that's correct. And mm-hmm. uh, he was doing, doing all right, and so on. But anyway, uh, when I called up the, to talk to you the other day about what we might talk about tonight, uh, the gentleman who answered the phone said, Tom, I can't get him to the phone right now because he's working on a carburetor. And that just struck my fancy for some reason because <laughs> uh, the last carbureted car I had was one that I bought in 1985. And, and I, I wondered, in fact, I'm going to ask, we're going to recreate that conversation for at least a minute or two. I said to you, when did you think that the cars had changed? I, I kept that car till a little after 2000, and one of the problems with it is that the carburetor was giving me problems with the floats and everything in, in there and uh, so on. Right. And I, I think you could almost write a book about carburetors because having junky cars, used cars most of my life, uh, I had uh, a lot of problems with carburetors. And I've noticed that, that tell me if I'm right about it, that the mechanics that I dealt with, wherever they were, really didn't like to mess with carburetors too much. They didn't like to take them off and play with them. They wanted to fix them if they could without uh, dis- dislocating them. Does that sound right to you? Well, uh, carburetors are a finicky character. They, uh, You have to 
set them up in a specific order, and if you miss one step out of that order when you're adjusting one and setting it up for the car, uh, it just won't work right. And, uh, the thing we talked about a lot uh, within the shop was that, you know, you still had a lot of people uh, that were kind of backyard mechanic kind of things, and they would want to make their own adjustments. And the thing that's interesting about a carburetor is you really, when it got older and the car got older, you would need to set the carburetor as a choke up for springtime or when it was getting warm. And then for cold weather, uh, because some of them, the choke needed adjusting. So twice a year, you would need to bring it in and kind of tweak it so it would work best in both of those seasons, particularly hot weather and particularly cold weather. And so uh, they did have a lot of problems. And, you know, uh, we're spoiled now because, uh, most every car you can walk out there and hop in it and turn the key and it'll fire up and run and uh, you really don't have to wait for it to warm up. You can just uh, jump in it and drive. The old carburetors, a lot of them, you, you had to spend as much as five minutes or more letting them warm up because if you didn't, they might stumble or cut off or hesitate until the engine got up to operating temperature. So. Um, they have, uh, cars have changed quite a bit. And, uh, well, I remember, we a car, remember a car I had that you had to pump it three or four times and cross sure. yourself and pray over it a bit, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and all kinds. But well, now, what, I guess one reason this in, interests me is that I am old enough that I go back, to, I used to have to drive a 1946 truck when I worked for the boys club in Goldsboro, one that somebody had given them, you know. And, and Right. The, the starter was on the on the uh, dashboard. That is a button. It, it had nothing to right. do with the ignition, and it had a manual choke on it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, this is a kind of a history lesson for, say, some young guy who, what are they talking about? You know, because all of that the choking thing is is in the. Uh, uh, well, I mean, you started having an automatic choke after a while, and it supposedly took care of the problems that the manual choke. Right. Right. I'm not sure it did. I think I told you the story. I was watching a TV program where a guy had a Winnebago and it stopped, and he was said he was uh, he was arguing with his girlfriend, and they were discussing. He she didn't think he was doing it right, doing the thing right with the. It, he, and he said, oh, "I know all about uh, not carburetors, but uh, what do you what do you call it now that you use?" Uh, uh, fuel, fuel injection. Fuel injection. He said, I know all about fuel injection, but, but he'd just been describing an operation on a carburetor. So he had, in his own <laughs> mind, he had everything kind of mixed up and so on. So, but eventually it cooled off and everything got got back right. I think the thing probably yeah. had a carburetor on it. So. Could have been, <laughs> if it was old enough, that's for sure. Well, something that's interesting to me, if you're a fan of, uh, we've got a, about a 45 seconds left here before we need to do the news of World War II is the famous Battle of Britain. The uh, the German planes had uh, fuel injection and that Spitfire, which won the won the battle, as you may know. One, it, right. a, lot of, a lot of people who fly think it's one of the most beautiful planes they've ever seen. But they were carbureted, so they had a little bit of a problem turning upside down. And uh, But they, mm-hmm. they won the battle anyway. <laughs> guess it was superior yep. pilots or something. Um, right. 
give you a chance to check your breath, catch your breath, and get you a little coffee or something or whatever. And we'll come back and uh, we'll see where where we'll go from there. We're talking about automobiles tonight, and uh, we're going to maybe talk about fixing some automobiles. I keep thinking when cold weather comes that people are going to be out checking their antifreeze. But right now, we're going to check the news. Drew, you can hear us. Uh, tonight, uh, Dean Bailey of uh, 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 King's Auto, 1039 Northwest Street, downtown. Uh, Dean, are you there? I am. I don't want to start talking about about your place of business without you to check me in case I screw something up. But you work on uh, American cars, Asian cars, European cars, right? Right across the board. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we do. Um, we specialize in hybrid vehicles also, in electric. And uh, there's, uh, you know, as we were talking earlier about the difference in the older cars and the new cars, it's uh, changed quite a bit, for sure. Well, I can imagine that what is usually called, I think, continuing education is something that that it goes on, you know, some guy in high school, I said, I want to be a mechanic, so I don't have to read anymore, was kind of out of luck, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, absolutely, you know, uh, now more so than ever, uh, technicians spend uh, a lot of their evenings at home uh, brushing up and learning about new things and then spending, you know, as much as 40 to 80 hours in school each year just uh, on continuing education. Well, I have surmised from listening to you talk, and you've been an education to me uh, in doing these programs, that a lot of what goes on in an automobile is just rolling down the road is, is still very mechanical and not, in a way, very different from what was going on 50 years ago. You know, the the ball bearings are still down there. Uh, uh, maybe they're not. I'm, uh, are they still down in the wheels? Oh, sure. You still have ball bearings, and uh, you have brake systems. Brakes, right. Uh, you know, electric vehicles will, will always need brakes, and, uh, you know, we need them to perform properly. Now, how they use braking systems are going to be uh, very different uh, in the near future. You know, as of now, we still mostly have all hydraulic brake systems, and uh, there's a lot of talk in the future of using uh, electrical motors to clamp the friction material, which a lot of people call them brake calipers now. Um, you, you know, now they're hydraulic, but in the future they could be totally electric and uh, work quite well. There are some prototypes out there, and uh, a lot of people um, realize in their new cars when they set their parking brake now, a lot of them are what we call e-brake, and what it does is uh, it's flips a switch that pressurizes the brake system and clamps the calipers down hydraulically uh, to hold the car from moving. So uh, they have improved that quite a bit because, as you know, in older vehicles that had drum brakes, the parking brake, a lot of people call it the emergency brake, but it's really a parking brake. They didn't work so well even when they were working properly. So... Uh, a lot of, lot of good new technology to improve those type things. It's almost a, uh, I think I've used the term one time, and maybe it wasn't exactly right, but a kind of a fly-by-wire situation, figuratively speaking. 
And sure. the reason I say figuratively speaking is in the beginning, the brakes on automobiles were literally a fly-by-wire uh, situation. Right. And uh, you, you you pull a, a lever usually or something like that, and it pulled a, a cable that, that clamped those things down, whichever wheels they were on, sure. and that's how you stopped. Yeah, like the old T models, they used uh, cables, and they had wooden brakes, right? That was the yeah. friction material. <laughs> And that wasn't a whole lot different from the stagecoach, as a matter of fact. Well, well, true, but, you know, in that car, you weren't going really fast. Now, <laughs> back then, I'm sure you felt like you were going really fast, but uh, not compared to today, you know. And so uh, what you have to do is uh, change that kinetic energy of the vehicle moving into heat energy to get it to stop. So that's basically what your brake system does. Well, now you've gotten scientific on me, which is good, because I, <laughs> I, cause when you're talking about changing hydraulic to a sort of fly-by-wire situation, and, and the mm-hmm. hydraulic was an improvement on the literally fly-by-wire, you're talking about different right. ways of transferring energy here from one place mm-hmm. to another. Yeah. The energy to, to clamp that clamp the thing down on the, the front wheel or the, or the, or the back wheel. Uh, are there many cars that use uh, disc brakes on the rear? Uh, yes, I would say now, just I guess off the top of my head, probably about 70 or 80% of vehicles now, even trucks, have switched over to using uh, calipers on the rear. They're just easier to service. Uh, they're really lower cost now in comparison to, to uh, the older drum shoe type system. And, uh, you know, to me, they're more reliable. Uh, you have less mechanical parts involved with it. So uh, that's a yes, definitely. Uh, I guess one of the big, I want, to, I want to ask you which is the biggest, either entirely or in pieces, technology shift that affected the automobile. And I sort of imagine that it's the, the uh, use of electricity in one way or another, that is, raising the windows, uh, doing the fly-by-wire operations, doing whatever. I can remember I had a high school shop teacher on the radio with me about 25 years ago, and and I was talking to him on the air about improvements and changes, and he said, well, basically, for automotive mechanics, what you need now is an electrical engineering degree rather than a, or a computer degree rather than a mechanical degree. And, Probably what you needed was a combination of the two, and and a lot of dealing with uh, computers and electricity, and and that's why I was going to decide to write my famous book about ground. So, you know, if you don't get the ground, uh, yeah. it's not going to work. That's right. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. Probably 20 years down the road, you'll have to have uh, someone with a degree in that type of uh, background of. Uh, electrical engineering or even just computer science because of the ability to uh, control the vehicle with computer systems and uh, electricity from a a standpoint of, you know, now Tesla is famous for their updates. They can update their computer systems in their car without you ever having to go into a service facility. So they, they do that by telematics or you know, through their um, communications, kind of like cellular communications, and it can actually make changes or update or fix 
bugs in the system, um, literally from your driveway or going down the road if it's a minor repair. But um, that's the future of vehicles. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing I was reading an article, uh, which I get the green car report, I'll credit this to them, is uh, Ford's new F-150 truck. It's a hybrid. This uh, vehicle's going to get like 25 miles to the gallon with a range of about 750 miles on a tank of gas. And, you know, that's pretty incredible. Uh, because that fuel tank won't be any bigger than what they currently have. And uh, that same vehicle, and, and this is the thing that a lot of people misunderstand, is this vehicle will have a huge amount of torque because electrical motors can produce uh, better torque than engines uh, in a lot of cases per, per pound. Uh, in other words, uh, a lighter motor can produce a lot of torque. Is, uh, can I stop you for a second? Sure. Is, is that, you think, uh, why some, well, you know, you watch a diesel train. I, I used to walk with my dog on the NC State campus, and one of the real fun things was watch the trains come through there, you know, right through the middle sure. of the campus. Because they slowed down a little bit, and you could kind of watch them. And, of course, what you've got there is a is a fueled engine, probably with diesel fuel, but it's actually right. driving an electrical motor. Right, that's correct. It's producing electricity that drives electrical motors on the wheels, and they're absolutely capable of, um, you know, uh, pulling a lot of torque and controlling that speed very well. Um, you know, so, uh, for instance, this F-150 would have, like, 430 horsepower but it would have uh, like 570 pound-feet of torque, which is tremendous. It could pull 12,000 pounds of load, so it is, uh, it is awesome. Uh, you know, I feel proud of myself because that was the question I was going to ask you. It was about the torque. I, I thought I knew what I was talking about, but I wasn't sure that whether you were going to save time. You don't know what you're talking about, but... Uh... Uh, but that and the movement, if it's like the diesels on engines, uh, train engines, would be very smooth too. It wouldn't be humping and jerking and all that kind of stuff. That's that's correct. It would be very controlled and uh, very smooth. Um, I, I think people once they start using it are going to be like really wild over it, you know. Uh, and if you think those trains, they've been they've been running electric diesel engines uh, up and down the tracks for a long, long time. So it's very proven technology. Oh, yeah, and, I'm uh, sure that they, they, go, they go back to at least uh, probably 1940, if not before that. So. Right. And, you know, a hybrid would be the best option for a truck because it gives you infinite range as long as you stop and fill up with fuel as opposed to a total electric truck you're kind of tied to where's the next uh, charging station and how quick can you charge up and be ready to go, you know, uh, another uh, two or 300 miles at this point would be that limitation. It, uh, that, but, uh, that's interesting you've answered a question for me because there's an ad on TV for, I think it's a, uh, some, a truck depot that's owned by, by uh, Amazon. You know, they're, they're 
have their own vehicles now. And, right. Yeah. And it's all electric. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. You, and what they they're doing is they're running a certain route that's predetermined. They know the exact amount of miles they're going to be running, and they will finish using that truck and plug it in before it runs out that evening. It's a really good idea for that type of vehicle. Okay. Uh, they also have some diesels they're running, big uh, 18-wheeler semis. But they, obviously, with a truck that big, you have a lot of area for battery capacity to give you a lot of range with those. Is there any so a lot of interesting see. stuff. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. A lot of interesting stuff coming out, and, uh, you know, you can go on the Internet and read a, a lot of stuff, and you can spend hours just looking at all the new things that are coming out. It's incredible. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to get a reading list from you, too. I've got it from, from <laughs> my, my other guest on my show, but uh, we're going to look to find out some of this stuff. We need to take a break here. We're three-quarters of the way through our program, just so folks will know who that guy is. I always like it when when people on the radio are identified. Often that's good radio, so you'll know who you're listening to. Uh, Dean Bailey is the proprietor, and uh, one of the mechanics. I was uh, he was actually getting uh, grease under his fingernails the other day. I'm not implying that he wasn't, but I caught him with his hands, uh, or at least his colleagues said he had his hands around a carburetor and he was working on it. Uh, Dean Bailey is indeed our indeed I did information source tonight and it's good to have him with us and uh, uh, one of the reasons I like to have him at this time of year and he can do this when we come back he counsel will counsel you to make sure that if this, you think there's anything wrong with your car or it needs servicing uh, he'd like for you to take it to him but if he if nothing else you need you should take it somewhere you should not go off to grandma's house with something that's not going to get you back without having to well, have a lot of uh, involvement with a lot of other people. Given if you're going to go, you should go as as close to the ideal as, as possible. We'll be back uh, with the dean in just a couple of moments. Tonight is morning. Talking about uh, automobiles with uh, the proprietor of uh, King's Auto, 1039 Northwest Street. Uh, if, it, if that's hard for you to find, just think of uh, Peace Street. It's right off of Peace Street. And, uh, if you're an old Raleigh person, it's not very far from where Devereux Meadow used to be. Now, Dean, you see what I've done? I've screwed things up because people are going to want to know what has to do with the meadow. Do you remember Devereux Meadow? <laughs> I do. Uh, I used to watch uh, baseball there as a, as a kid, the Raleigh Caps. Right, exactly. Uh, yep. And, but, it, but, you know, I, I think it's funny what they call places where athletic teams play, you know, stadium, uh, park, uh, you know, whatever. And, and the one in Raleigh was a meadow. So, so I guess that comes from the days of long ago when, you know, guys went out and played cowpatcher baseball. Uh, is there uh, – we've had this discussion about batteries and on your, your latest commercial, by the way. I, I listen to your commercials because I find them informative and, and – uh, uh, is a, one of the questions that comes up is the question of a battery. You know, we've discussed uh, with you and Don and uh, Thomas and other people over the years whether what is most difficult on cars, the winter and the batteries in the cars, specifically the batteries, the winter or the summer. And I, I always thought it would be the winter because 
you know, you got to get up enough power to turn that engine over. But I think the actual choice was that summer was harder because it was always kind of hot under that hood and everything. But batteries are something I would guess you need to really keep an eye on at this time of year. Well, true. Uh, heat is the thing that damages the uh, battery the most. But uh, what happens is when the battery gets around the five-year age, it's coming near the end of its life. And for some batteries, they are just a five-year battery. There were seven-year batteries in the past. But for most cases, we realize that five years is uh, about enough of what you're going to get or expect good service. And so um, when you get one that's around four or five years old and it's been through a lot of uh, hot duty during the summer, uh, it tends to get damaged by that. And when it really shows that damage is in the winter uh, when it cools off and you need that extra torque to turn a cold engine over, if that makes sense. So as the battery's aged and uh, been exposed to heat from electrical draw and charging, uh, they only have so many cycles in them. So uh, generally you find out in the winter when they really need your your engine needs uh, all the torque from that uh, electricity it can get in that starter motor. And that that's when it really tests that battery. So uh, it's a good idea to have that battery checked, you know, once a year after it's uh, three years old at least. We like to look at the surface of them and make sure they don't have corrosion on them, on the terminals, that sort of thing. But uh, you want to make sure you have that tested before it gets too cold because you might find out on a cold winter morning when you got to get to a job interview or take the kids to, to the doctor or whatever you need to do, you don't want to find out that, oh, I, I should have had that battery tested. So uh, we have a test that we can do, and it, it's a very predictive analysis of, you know, how much life you have left in that battery. So that's really a good test to do. So I would recommend that. And then, you know, keep your tires aired up and uh, get the best performance. Uh, and, you know, uh, changes in temperature can cause your uh, tires to go lower in pressure, and that will cause that... Uh, TPMS light, it looks like the little upside-down horseshoe, and most of them are amber in color, uh, to come on because they set overnight and cool down. And uh, they're not necessarily all flat, but they're three or four pounds lower, and they were already low to start with. So let's get those tires topped up and especially get that spare tire checked to see if it has air in it at all. Uh, that's one of the most missed things in service. Uh, there is, if uh, you do have a spare, let's get that thing checked out. Well, you know, the last time I bought tires, I got, uh, well, it was when Daniel told me that, uh, and this is one thing I like about uh, full service, is he said, Mr. Kearney, uh, he put some air in my tire because that little light had come on. He said, your tires right. are dry rotted. And so I, I went out mm -hmm. and got some tires. But I did not, and I'm, I'm going to show you a true procrastinator. I still have not. Had the the question of spares looked into. I think one of my cars. I have two Toyotas. One of them, the larger car, has a real spare in it and uh, a real tire. And I think the right. other has some. Uh, may not have anything, as a matter of fact. A temporary tire, which uh, 
can run up to 60 miles an hour for a short distance. Most of them stay on the sidewall 50 miles an hour, so you need to know that as well, uh, how fast you can run that tire. But it is a temporary tire, and uh, you don't want to run very long on it, that's for certain. Well, you know what we've done? I've been having so much fun that I took my eyes off the clock here, and we're just about to run over if we don't watch out. I want to thank you for being here tonight, and I'm, with your permission, I'll give you a little call right after we're off the air here. Sure. And, uh, my pleasure, Tom. Uh, Dean Bailey, King's Auto, 1039 Northwest Street. Uh, that's where we take our cars, and I can recommend them without reservation.